<laughs> Hello and welcome to Effort Go Travel. We are your hosts, Crystal and Sapphire. Journey with us in navigating both the astral plane and the planes of our travels. Think of us as your travel hosts that will help guide you in your travel journeys to help you avoid an earlier than planned visit to the spirit realm. Join us as we give tips and insight, share ghost stories, and just serve as your go-to storytellers and hosts. That's right. This podcast isn't just to help you find your way into the adventures of the living away from the light. It's meant to inspire and support our fellow female solo travelers, or as we like to call travel hoes, and of course, entertain with a ghost story or two. We're interrupting our regularly scheduled programming with a special episode dedicated to Halloween, if you can't already tell. So in today's episode, we're sharing a few different types of unsettling travel stories, ranging from a ghost story to a creepy man story, because I'm sure most of us has run into a creepy man at some point in our travels. And then we're going to end with a few true crimes along with advice on how to stay safe because at the end of the day, that's what is most important. Well, the fuck we waiting for? The spears are waiting. Let's go and start our episode, you travel hoes. So some updates. First, before we get <laughs> just, started, <laughs> yeah, just just to just to provide some levity before we go into a deep dive and get spooky. Um, where are you right now, Crystal? Uh, I am in Germany. So yeah, if you haven't been following Instagram, I um... what do you, what the fuck are you doing? Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, so I I somehow made my way to Germany last month, and uh, I've been spending the month just, uh, yeah, in a foreign country in the middle of a pandemic, and I have no idea what to tell people that ask me what I'm doing here. (laughs) So that's actually what, like, it's like a horror story for me. We're being in a foreign country in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, being in a foreign country during the plague and staying in your accommodations that don't have any lights. We'll talk about that later. But let's just say um, Crystal's current situation may or may have not inspired this episode right in time for Halloween. Yeah, so um, just to kind of give like little backstories, I have a serious case of Rasmophobia, which is the irrational fear of ghosts and anything ghost related. And it's irrational because it doesn't matter where I am. Like I can be in a million dollar mansion, a villa somewhere, uh, a five star hotel. It doesn't matter if I'm by myself and then it gets dark, like I get scared. Same. And I'm sure you travel hoes have faced similar experiences where the hair on the back of your neck prickles up if you stay, stay in certain hostels or accommodations by yourself. I actually used to think that this was something to be ashamed of, so I didn't really talk about it much. And then um, 
one time I saw somebody in one of the travel groups post about it. The person was like, I have a serious case of thasophobia. Does anyone have any tips? And then I realized that actually there are other people out there that have this phobia and that it's okay to talk about it. Uh, and yeah, later I will share some of my tips on how I deal with this when I'm traveling by myself and staying in a not so comfortable place. <laughs> My Brush with a Ghost, a story by Tara Carmen, submitted to the Vancouver Sun in 2014. This story has been shortened for the sake of pacing. So this first story is of a ghostly encounter that happened on an Edinburgh ghost tour that has its resident poltergeist leave tourists with scratches and other very tangible spooky souvenirs. It was the summer of 2003, and my friend Robin and I were traveling through the UK with my younger sister Shannon. We were in the notoriously haunted city of Edinburgh, trying to choose a ghost tour. Our dilemma was whether to subject ourselves to an angry poltergeist with, with a penchant for scratching and bruising tourists, or to check out an underground chamber full of the remains of plague victims who had been entombed live. The latter did not appeal to me, and Robin really wanted to experience the poltergeist, so off we went. We ended up at a gated off section of Greyfriars Cemetery. Our guide told us this section was off limits to the public, except through this tour company. He proceeded to tell us the following story. Once upon a time, in the 17th century, a group of Presbyterians called the Covenanters rose up against the crown in defense of the right to practice their religion. They lost, and about 1,200 survivors of the blast battle were taken to this part of the Greyfire Cemetery, which became known as the Covenanters' Prison. There, they were either executed or died a slow death of starvation and exposure at the hands of a particularly sadistic Lord Advocate, George Mackenzie whose violent methods earned him the nickname Bloody Mackenzie. The Covenanters who died there were buried on site. Mackenzie's own tomb is just a few steps away from the gated-off prison. All was well until 1999, when a homeless man seeking shelter from a storm found his way into Mackenzie's tomb, disturbed some remains, and ran away in fear, the story goes. Shortly after, the city of Edinburgh began receiving complaints of people encountering hot spots, cold spots, and getting mysterious injuries around Mackenzie's tomb, but mostly around one particular structure in the Covenanters' prison called the Black Mausoleum. The city locked both the prison and the tomb in response, but the tour company we were with was granted permission to take people inside. The guide, who told us he received danger pay, said it was not unusual for people to pass out, vomit, or find scratches or bruises they couldn't account for while inside the Black Mausoleum. The culprit, known as the Mackenzie Poltergeist, is said to be the spirit of the infamous Sir George, aroused by the fearful energy produced on the night of the storm. 
The guide unlocked the gates and led us inside the Covenanter's prison. I will admit to being fairly freaked out at this point. I rationalized the feeling as a natural result of the story we had just been told. But when I saw the black mausoleum we were all expected to squeeze into, I had a very strong sense I should not go in. I told my sister as much, but when she pointed out the alternative was to stay in the prison yard by myself, I changed my mind. The guide stood at the entrance to the mausoleum, never quite coming inside. He told us, as we filed past, that we'd be safer if we stayed close together in a group. Shannon and I headed for the middle of the pack, but when I looked for Robin, he was leaning against a back wall with his arms crossed off by himself. I remember a woman bursting into tears and leaving the mausoleum. I remember at one point feeling what I can best describe as a mild electric shock under my feet. As we waited for the bus to our hostel, Robin complained that his stomach hurt. When he lifted his shirt, there were three distinct scratches across his stomach. He said he didn't know where they came from, but didn't have any memory of the time we were in the mausoleum. Shannon and I reasoned that he might have been nervous in there and done that to himself. Robin agreed that this was probably what had happened. At this point, I became excruciatingly aware of every itch and twinge in my body. A few minutes later, Robin said his back hurt. We checked and there were three more scratches. This too, we reasoned away. Maybe Robin had somehow scratched his back while he was leaning against the wall of the mausoleum. Yes, Robin said, that is probably what had happened. We got back to the hostel. We'd been there maybe five minutes when Robin jumped up suddenly, yelling in pain. My chest, he shouted, taking off his shirt. His chest was covered in scratches, but they were strangely symmetrical and looked like some kind of pictograph. There was a larger formation in the middle that looked like a circle with a cross on the top and squiggly arrows on either side of it. There were other scratches on his upper arm and lower back that looked like there were marks that would be left behind by fingernails. When Shannon lightly touched his arm, it left a handprint on his skin. I took the opportunity to thoroughly check myself over for scratches. Thankfully, I was in the clear. Meanwhile, Robin complained to Shannon that his stomach was upset, and Shannon said he might feel better if he threw up. She waited across the yard as Robin got sick in the bushes. When she looked back, she saw Robin rise from a kneeling position and start striding very slowly and purposefully toward her. Something about the way he was moving and made it and looking at her made her back away. It didn't look like Robin, she recalled later. She asked Robin if he was okay and saw his mouth move in response, but couldn't hear him. She asked again as he, moved, as he came closer, backing up until she hit the wall of the hostel, but still couldn't hear what he was saying. Robin told us later that he had been fighting a strong urge to take a run at Shannon. A nurse at the hospital told us to go see a priest, but it was getting late and we were tired, so we went back to the hostel. Did this experience make people believe in ghosts? Was that, entity, was that entity the departed spirit of Sir George Mackenzie? Who knows? But I believe there is something in that mausoleum humans don't fully understand. Maybe one day we will. What I do know is that if I'm ever fortunate enough to go be back in Edinburgh, I will leave it well alone. So I'm done. <laughs> okay. Cool. So I, 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 so Crystal can unplug her ears now because I'm done the ghost story.
I've been to Edinburgh and have gone on a ghost tour while I was traveling, but it was more of a kitschy, it was more of a kitschy time than something ghostly. And nowhere near as eventful as this. I heard tales of tourists getting scratches from this particular tour and thought, no ma'am, I'll not go into that mausoleum. I already sleep with lights on and I don't need a new sleep paralysis demon. I went on the tour and it was just like the tour guide who was kind of hilarious because he didn't know how to tell a story from like beginning, middle and end. He would say beginning, middle, and then and then you would approach climax and it just like would abruptly end the story. And like you would be leaning in and just be like, what, what? <laughs> wow. He'd end it with like, yes, and they found two skulls in that tree nook. And if you come this way, but I, I, I would much prefer that than like going home with scratches and then being told to see a priest. <laughs> yeah, don't fuck with that shit. <laughs> don't, don't fuck with any of that shit. Our second story has less to do with ghosts, thank goodness, but it deals with an entity most dangerous to solo traveling women on this plane. Creepy men. A story from the r let's not meet subreddit by user Samantha KK23. I'm willing to bet that the majority of us women have encountered creepy men at some point, whether you solo travel or not. This next story is about an 18-year-old female on a workaway. One day, while browsing on a workaway, I received a direct message from an elderly couple that needed help with gardening chores. The account that messaged me had its first name set as Enzo, so I assumed it was the husband that was hiring the workaway volunteers. Upon expecting his profile picture though, I realized it was a selfie of him with a much younger woman, maybe in her early 20s. Their description said, couple looking for some gardening help, very beautiful view on the ocean, looking for young and strong workaways for help. Don't forget that swimsuit. Creepy, winky emoji. The smiley face maybe made it a little bit creepy, but I probably thought the guy was old and was just trying to be funny. So many red flags here. <laughs> they had pictures of the house in South Italy that seemed charming with a pool and a nice view on the beach. It looked like paradise and it had a pretty good rating, so I accepted. Fast forward, I arrive at the place it's kind of like the pictures, except the garden was totally run down. Enzo introduces himself to me. He's poorly dressed, and I immediately notice he's a little socially awkward. I asked him where his wife is, to which he responds that she died about a week ago because of cancer. On the spot, I'm immediately heartbroken and give him my condolences, though I'm a little skeptic. No duh. <laughs> he was definitely lying about something. As I'm saying sorry for his loss, he looks down as if he were crying. So I awkwardly, not really out of sympathy, decide to give him a hug. While we're hugging though, I notice his hands are a little low on my back, barely touching my butt. I was wearing a sundress so I really felt it. But I didn't think too much of it and brushed it off because he was old and rather short. But this is the first red flag for me. The first one. <laughs> wow, that's like my seventh. We go inside and he starts showing me around the house. He keeps telling me that there's a pool in the garden if I want to swim. He tells me this about three times. He shows me my room and it's a big room with a view on the backyard pool and the beach. 
Once in my room, he also mentions that there's mice in the attic above my room that sometimes make noise at night. I tell him, oh really? And he doesn't answer. Fast forward to the next day, and I'm working on the garden cutting bushes and watering the plants. While he's out on the porch behind me laying down and taking a nap. Or I thought so. It was pretty hot that day, so I was just wearing a bikini and a baggy old shirt on top. While I'm bending over to water some smaller plants in the back, I can't help but notice his eyes are open, looking right at me. I'm not that sure he's watching me, though, so I decide to go water the plants next to him and pretend I, th pretend I think he's sleeping. I bend over and pretend I'm picking up something from the soil. I'm aware that my breasts are more or less half exposed through the baggy shirt I was wearing. I quickly glance in his direction and see that his old, wide eyes open are locked onto my breasts. A little disgusted, I stand up and walk towards the side of the house where he can't see me. A couple moments after that, he goes back inside. I start to get a little suspicious about this guy. No kidding. <laughs> no shit. But I couldn't really blame him. After all, his wife was allegedly dead, and it wasn't the first time a guy has looked at me like that. I take this as a second red flag, though. Lol. On the second day, Enzo had given me permission to take the day off, so I decide to wander off to the beach. When I come back, Enzo was walking towards me with swimming goggles in his hand, and suddenly tells me that there are small rocks in the pool that I should pick up, because he's too old to go that deep in the water. That's when I thought, that was a little odd. <laughs> Firstly, who has small rocks not so randomly scattered in their, in their pool floor? And second, who owns a pool and doesn't have a perch to get small leaves and insects out of the water? But, put in the spot, I decided to do the job. I was also already in my swimsuit anyways. I put on the goggles, go inside the water, and pick up the rocks. While I'm doing this, he's standing there just watching me do it. In the water, I faintly hear the iPhone's recording sound, and while going back up out the water after picking up the last rock, I notice him on his iPhone for the first time. He was holding it in the water, with both hands as if he was zooming in on me. It was just too obvious. I tell him I'm done and ask him if that's his phone. He replies that he's using it to zoom in the water, because it's waterproof, and he can use it to see the rocks in the water. I told him it was a great idea, though I didn't believe it one bit. This is a third red flag, and right then and there, I make up my mind to leave early because I don't feel safe with this guy. I dry myself off and get to my room to take a nap because I was exhausted. Once in my room, I look for possible hidden cameras. Fortunately, I found nothing. So I locked up my door, took a shower, and went to sleep. That night, I had some trouble falling asleep. I had obviously locked my door and thus felt safe, but it, was an un but it was an unusually hot summer night. Before coming here, I had this habit of sleeping naked that I stopped doing once I came here for obvious reasons. I opened the windows to get some fresh air, but still didn't help. So I subsided to old habits and, and decided to take off my pajamas to sleep naked. I instantly fell asleep after that. I awoke at 3am to some noise coming from the ceiling. I opened my eyes and looked at the ceiling above me. That's when, in the dark between the planks. I faintly see a set of eyes looking at me. I lock eye contact with Enzo, who is in the fucking attic, and get in full panic mode, but I'm paralyzed with fear, so I don't move. 
I, pre I pretend that I'm looking at the left side of the ceiling and then close my eyes. My breasts are completely exposed to this creep, so I decide to turn to my side and move up the blanket to cover up. For the rest of the night, I'm too scared to open my eyes or move, so I just stay there paralyzed in fear until some sunlight reaches me. Morning came, and I was more than ready to just get the hell out of this house. I would have thrown fucking hands, man. When it was about six in the morning, I packed my stuff and left the house fretting. I waited at the train station to get to the nearest airport. Thank God I came out unharmed. This guy was a twisted and seriously sick fucking pervert. Okay, but before you go off on how dumb she is, keep in mind she's 18. Yeah. Come on, still. <laughs> I would have beat him up. Like, I would have literally climbed the attic and fucking kicked the shit out of him. I would have screamed. <laughs> Same. No. Like, when she when she was listing her third red flag, I was like, I'm on my, my ninth. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I can actually kind of relate and like understand and feel sympathy for her not just because she's 18 and young and naive but because i feel like as women we're kind of conditioned to behave this way it's like you see a red flag it's like oh no it's nothing yeah we're gaslit into just being agreeable just because it, it's agreeable <laughs> well because yeah we're not supposed to be confrontational right that girl would rather pretend she didn't see the guy in her ceiling creeping on her she'd rather do that than confront him I would have literally, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe if I was 18, but I know like at 27, 28 year old me now, because yeah. my mom was like the most, the most, the most confrontational dragon lady that I've ever met in my life. You know what I mean? I obviously don't blame her because she's like the victim here, but yeah. also, uh, come on, <laughs> like so many, so many flags that were not seen. Yeah, no, I mean, I just see this as obviously a learning experience for her and hope that, you know, next time she would know better. But yeah, I feel like this could happen to anybody and I, I don't think how she behaved is that unusual, to be honest, for a girl her age and with like that little experience. Remember that time? Um, so there was this one time that I was at a club with Sapphire and another friend and there was a creepy guy <laughs> who kept coming up from behind me and I, I don't even know how to describe what he was doing like was like shoving his fingers up my butt I don't know what the hell he was doing I would feel like jabs up my ass basically and I was an 18 year old at the time I was like pretty old already but then it took him um three three times of doing that until I was finally like okay I'm pretty sure this guy is fucking with me because you know the first few times like you doubt yourself like you want to believe that this guy is not a creep that you're just overthinking it I mean your brain wants to believe what it wants to believe you want to believe that you are not being sexually assaulted by some creepy guy at a club. You want to think that it was just an accident. That's what you want to believe. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I remember you shoving him. You're like, fuck off. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. And then and then I think um, our other friends, that whose name we won't disclose. <laughs> hi, <laughs> hi, friends. Um, she was like, she was like, 
shaking her head because I was I was also we were getting so confrontational because this isn't the first time we've been out and about with her and have gotten really confrontational over like really predatory or really shitty asshole kind of guys but yeah you shoved him off and then I was like demanding that we go to the bouncer and tell him to make that guy fuck off yes and the bouncer thankfully thankfully the bouncer actually took our word for it yeah and the thing is like yes even though i shot him off but it was not until he did it the third time so yeah it was one time he did it right away and then i reacted it was like i had to wait until that third confirmation to be reassured enough of myself to to be assertive which is kind of sad if you think about it yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think I think I've gone backwards because now I give people more the benefit of the doubt. Like, I was a lot more reactive when I was younger. Yeah. But like now, I sadly give the benefit of a doubt because I have been wrong before. But I think <laughs> it's better to be wrong than to be assaulted. <laughs> Which story do you feel is way worse? The ghosty one that may or may not be true, even though they apparently had tangible evidence, or creepy men that we face every day that we have to fight off every day and fight our own docile sensibilities that we were socialized to have. Okay, so I this I think this is how I would rank it. I would rank, I don't know, like the irrational part of me is like, ghosts! <laughs> the irrational part of me is like, um, probably getting human traffic, getting raped, <laughs> those probably should come um before ghosts so uh, so creepy men and actual real world things that we can touch and feel consistently on a scientific basis are way scarier than ghosts right (laughs) it depends if it's daytime then yes getting getting injured or uh running into a bad guy getting kidnapped that that would be scarier um, creepy men, if it's just a pervert, I would actually rank that the lowest because as long as they're not serial killers, <laughs> I, I, I feel like that would actually be the safest. Or I mean least dangerous, not safest. Least dangerous. Yeah, that's true. I think I would lean into my irrational side and be like, ghosts? No, no, I, I, I retract that. Like, I definitely think men are way scarier than ghosts. Because men can be scary day or night. Right. Um, but ghosts are like only scary at night. And I feel like I only have to worry about that like for eight hours at a time. <laughs> well, uh, and then what about getting lost in the middle of nowhere or getting sick? Getting lost is pretty up there. Any sort of like immediate like violence. Um, yeah, getting sick, obviously, because you're traveling during the plague. Like that, that's, that's a pretty rational fear. Um, but I think, I think terror attacks are actually, like, probably my number one. And then two, it's just men in general. Three, <laughs> um, ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think if you're in an immediate threat of getting killed or harmed, that should be the scariest. And then getting lost, whatever. Like, you still have a chance of being found, so I think that's okay. <laughs> you have a chance? Unless, like, you're, you, I don't know, like, your, your plane, like, crashed and you're in the middle of the ocean and you're uh, on a buoy and you fucked. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a fear. <laughs> oh, God, that's so scary. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I, I wrote this down in my notes. Like, obviously, you have, like, a, like a pretty serious um, 
if you have pretty serious plasmophobia but that I indulge in but you also mm-hmm. I find that you <laughs> you also have a grave fear of staying in a country for more than six months at a time <laughs> what why is that it's just a that just an observation or yeah, that's an observation because you get the theories you get very anxious when you're like when you're in one place for too long because you feel stagnant uh maybe only in Vancouver you're, you're, maybe maybe but you're definitely like more of the more of an embodiment of ethical travel I think than than sapphire is so in the same vein of horror stories we have some pretty bad horror stories ourselves that usually pertain to our accommodations that we stay in when we're traveling so crystal you have plenty of shit to share what say I, you i wouldn't say they were that bad it's just i think that we all have our share of bad accommodations you know at some point if we stayed in enough accommodations like you're bound to come across a few that are just a little bit sketchy or creepy or weird or just shitty yeah so sapphire remembered some of these for me because i complained to her (laughs) when i run into a bad accommodation so there was one accommodation that I had in Vancouver, actually, where I, I found a knife in the bed for some reason. I flipped open the bed cover and there was a knife right there. That's pretty, that's pretty terrible. Not to mention that you were scammed um, for a bogus $200, $200 cleaning fee. And in the same place, like you, you were offered zero toilet paper, <laughs> almost, yeah. almost no toilet paper. Like, come on. Yeah, so in that, same, <laughs> in that same place, the host didn't want to provide um, toilet paper. And yeah, after I checked out, she sent me this angry message claiming that I damaged these things. And she claimed that I owed her a $200 cleaning bill and that the, the place needed a, quote, deep clean. Saying that I didn't scrub her toilets and her bathtub, which is ridiculous. Oh, and she also claimed that the amount of bed linens that had to be washed is, quote, unacceptable, even though I didn't use any extra bed sheets or bed linens or anything. I just used whatever was provided for me, whatever was already on the bed, that was what I used. So I asked her, are you implying that you don't wash all of the bed sheets, all of the bed linen after every guest leaves? If you have a problem with the amount of bed linen that you have to wash, which is whatever was provided on the bed for me. Yeah, all those claims were dropped eventually. Yeah, because you doubled down and you were like, uh, I'm gonna report you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the night was never explained. Like, I still don't know why, why there was a night there in the bed. Maybe the previous tenant didn't feel safe sleeping there for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so that mystery was never solved. So that was that Airbnb horror story. Um, and then there's another one. This one is more ghost-related, but it's, it's nothing bad. So this was a hotel that I booked in Singapore. I I booked this hotel and then afterwards, I don't know, I just decided to look up the reviews for some reason and I saw there was one review where a girl wrote, uh, my mother-in-law felt um, some ghostly presence in this room. Asian Asian and Southeast Asian like ghosts just hit different. They're so much scarier than, than white people ghosts. Yeah, and they're the Asian people are 
superstitious like they're very superstitious they will say these things like oh there was like a ghost here or like this this and you need to do this to make sure that this doesn't happen yeah so i read that review and it did creep me out and this was a hotel that didn't have a window because a lot of hotels in singapore um don't have windows <laughs> oh man i think my only horror stories so far was like having bed bugs and like having allergic reaction and thinking that I had like a serious case of meningitis because I started getting really sick after it was so bad and it yeah. was like a severe allergic reaction that was horrible but I'm trying to think of like creepy things like, that's pretty bad like I would say that's pretty bad yeah no it was definitely creepy like I still to even my own bed check when like boyfriends or whatever stay over yeah. Um, or whatever, <laughs> um, <laughs> or whatever they are, um, or even like girlfriends who stay over. Like I get them to like not even wear their outside clothes in my bed because I get really mm -hmm. paranoid about that kind of stuff. But I'm trying to think. Like, have I ever stayed in a haunted accommodation? Probably. Very likely. Probably. <laughs> Honestly, like my house right now that I'm recording in in Vancouver in the West End definitely haunted. <laughs> Just okay, saying. just because it's old doesn't mean it's haunted. And I say that because I'm in a pretty old building right now. <laughs> oh, describe it. Describe it. Like, you have no lights. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is what Sapphire was referring to earlier um, in this episode. So I'm staying at this Airbnb that's very spacious, which is nice. But the downside is that half the lights don't work you can see where the light fixture is supposed to be or you can see the wires but there's no light fixture um some just don't even have light bulbs some have light bulbs but the light bulbs don't work um so i would say yeah this this place may as well just be lit by candles because that's how dark it is and i've never yeah i've never stayed at a place that's dark before i would never allow it and also there are these random holes in the ceilings and the walls that seems like nobody just bothered to patch up and as well as creepy pictures. I This is not the first time I've stayed at an Airbnb in Europe where people have creepy pictures on their bedroom walls. Like I just, I don't understand what is the deal with hanging creepy pictures up in your bedroom. It's art. <laughs> But why does also, it be so creepy? <laughs> also, the fact that you have dial speed internet, which is like millennial and Gen Z's worst nightmare. Oh yeah, the internet's so slow and I kept messaging the host and he's like, oh, I, I called them, they said it should be working and it's, it's not gonna get resolved. Like, let's just be real here. <laughs> also, I just wanna add that I've been having some terrible sleeps the last several nights because I keep waking up in the middle of the night from strange noises that I kind of just in the moment I chalk it up to oh you know it's just the neighbors making noise being loud whatever but then if you really think about it like I don't think that the neighbors are just making random sounds in the middle of the night that does not seem like it's the neighbors <laughs> just last night I, I woke up at least three times or so and I um, one of the times I heard the sound that sounded like my phone was vibrating. So for a second, I actually thought that my phone was vibrating. I woke up and then I realized actually my phone was on silent because I usually turn it on silent when I go to sleep. And that and also the 
sound of the vibration was actually coming from the opposite side of where I have my phone. It was the side where the creepy picture is hanging from. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's my neighbor's phone vibrating. But then there's actually no neighbor on the other side of the wall. So if you guys can guess what these sounds are, please message me because I, uh, I don't know and honestly, I don't even really want to take a guess or think about it. I just want to get out of this place. Oh man, you have the worst luck, but that's okay. There's more stories that come out of it for this podcast. <laughs> I don't even know if it's that I have worse luck. I think if you stayed at enough places, like you're, you're bound to come across a few bad ones. Like this is gonna happen. This next segment is a collection of true crime stories. Stories that are tragic, scary, and no joke. Adventurous, alone, attacked. Stories from a New York Times compilation submitted by Megan Specia and Tiburo Mezazua. We will include a link to the article in the podcast description if you want to find out more about what happened to these ladies. Carla Stefaniuk, a dual Venezuelan-American citizen, was on a five-day vacation to Costa Rica in November to celebrate her 36th birthday. She stayed in a gated Airbnb villa near the airport with a security guard in a safe neighborhood. She always made sure to get home before dark. The night before she was to fly to Florida, she FaceTimed her best friend and gave a video tour of her villa. Her friend was supposed to pick her up at the airport in Florida the next day. During their phone call, Carla made a strange remark about how she felt something was wrong, but she didn't elaborate. Carla never boarded her flight home. A week later, Carla's brutalized body was found wrapped in plastic and half buried in a sloping patch of forest near her Airbnb rental. The Costa Rican police arrested the property security guard in connection with the killing. Oh, God. So, yeah, this sounded like a very safe and secure Airbnb in a safe neighborhood with a security guard. But unfortunately, that didn't mean shit. Hannah Gabios is a 26-year-old from Queens. She found her passion for traveling solo while studying abroad in college. After college, she did a solo trip to Southeast Asia. One evening while she was visiting Thailand, she was walking alone after dinner in a popular hangout area for young tourists when a local man offered to guide her back to her hotel. Because she was afraid of getting lost, she followed him. But just as she grew increasingly uneasy, he attacked. Fleeing for her life, Hannah tumbled from a cliff and fractured her spine. The man sexually assaulted her while she lay helpless for 11 hours. When morning came, the man left, but surprisingly returned with help. Hannah was hospitalized for months and had to learn to walk again using crutches and custom leg braces. To this day, she's still partly paralyzed, but since the attack, she has become a yoga instructor and completed the New York City Marathon on crutches. Her attacker was eventually arrested and sentenced to five years in prison. I hate men! Um, what's the lesson here? Don't ever follow a strange man that offers you help or anything. Yeah. 
If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, especially if you are a solo woman traveling abroad. So unfortunately, we do not have the privilege of doing that with the safety and assurance that men do. So just please be aware of your surroundings and don't be so trustful over to strangers. I think a good rule of thumb to use is, can you see what this guy is offering to you? Uh, can you see him offering the same thing to another dude? Can you see this man going to another man and going, hey, you look like you're lost. Do you want me to guide you back to your hotel? You should probably say no. Well, like, because some guys who might be actually good and well-meaning, like, even though you probably shouldn't take their advice, like, they might have the intention, like, oh, there might be actual, like, predators out there, so I can be your escort because we live in a really misogynistic society where sometimes you have to be spotted with a man in order to feel like protected, you know what I mean? And claimed. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to tell. I like to use that rule. And I think for the most part it does work because sometimes, yeah, it is really hard to tell um, what a guy is doing. It's like, it could seem really innocent. For example, say if you're in a group chat on couch surfing and a guy private messages you and all he says is like, hey, what's your name, where you're from? Like those messages may seem really innocent, but if you really think about it, do you think this guy is private messaging all the other dudes in the group chat and asking those guys what their names are and where they're from yeah it's true born and raised in moscow vasilisa komarova grew up in the 1980s behind the soviet iron curtain she studied law moved to london learned english and became a british citizen but she dreamed of traveling the wider world in 2016, at 35, she embarked on a solo motorcycle journey through the Americas. She was living a dream, chronicling it all on social media. Then everything changed. While she was camping in northern Bolivia, in an area people had told her was safe, three men with machetes dragged her out of her tent. They beat her, dislocating her arm in three places. While two held her down, one raped her. Then they broke her motorcycle, stole her belongings, urinated on her tent, and left her for dead. When the sun rose, Vasilisa used her laptop, which her attackers had missed, to summon help. But what she experienced was a climate of impunity. The authorities didn't want to take her to a doctor. The doctor didn't want to see her because she could not pay. And even after the Russian embassy was involved and the police finally listened, the embassy retreated saying she was not in immediate danger. She felt she was on her own. Vasilisa kept fighting for justice and after an arduous fight, her attackers were sentenced to a combined 42 years in prison a year later. Fuck! So what we learned here is that men suck and fucking ACAB, all cops are fucking bastards. <laughs> like, well, even, her own, even her own country failed her. What the hell? Here are some cautionary travel stats and advice that won't help you against ghosts, but will against real people. We included these true crime stories because we want to remind everyone that while we at Epic Go Travel encourage solo travel for women, the reality is that gender-based violence is a real issue that is still prevalent in the world 
even in rich first world countries. Thanks to social media, soul traveling for women is being seen as fun, exciting, a sign of freedom, easily accessible, and safe. While there are many of us who have traveled without incident, the fact is, even for the countries that are deemed as safe, the statistics that we see are not comprehensive and often are not gender specific because no country wants to make public any data that could be detrimental to their image. It's all fun and exciting until it happens to you. So let's make sure that it never does by researching and preparing adequately and never letting your guard down. Always trust your gut instincts, even if it means making yourself look like a fool. Don't stay in sketchy places, even if it means saving money. Make sure someone knows where you are at all times. And if you're not a white woman, you should take double the precautions. I thought white women were more in danger if they went to quote unquote developing places. Why why would that be? Because they'd be captured for like ransom because they'd be associated with like being rich because they, they'd be easily identifiable as like a tourist. Well, I, I say that just because um, like if you're a white woman, then the news cares likely more about you. Yeah, exactly. And oh, whereas if you're like a black woman, for example, like, you know, you're not going to get as much attention. Oh, okay. So some of my advice on how to stay safe is to always try to congregate with other female travelers. It's not only fun, but there it's really true when they say that safety, that there is safety in numbers. And don't do the obvious things like don't hang out in weird alleyways <laughs> that are dark at night. Don't go into white vans. Um, like all jokes aside, uh, cover your drinks and whoever you trust with your drink, make sure, unfortunately, that it's another female because you can't trust men in this world who are strangers to you. And one of my go-to um, things to do to keep myself safe is staying in female dorms. Even though it's probably a couple bucks more than a mixed dorm, trust me, you'll feel more at ease and it'll be a quieter sleep because like, uh, women don't really snore as loudly <laughs> as men do. It, and um, just Google um, hostile horror stories, you will find a million. Yes, exactly. Also, always look at reviews of where whatever accommodation that you're staying at, um, regardless of whether or not you're staying in a female dorm, because you never know. Like, And that also goes for the country that you're uh, planning to go to, as well as any activities you're going to be doing. Like, just get an idea of how safe it is in general and how safe it is for women based on, like, some anecdotes that you see. Like, post and ask Reddit. Be like, hey, who's been to Belarus or something like that? And be like, how did you feel as a female traveling through that destination? I think even the countries, when you're doing your research, even the countries that other people say are safe, you still don't want to let your guard down because the examples we just gave in like earlier like a lot of these places like oh yeah you know it's supposed to be safe like the the airbnb like it's gated it's in a safe neighborhood but shit still happens so you know just because other people say it's safe yeah don't let your guard down 
um, use Uber because taxis are bullshit and will scam you and they're not as safe because they're not review based. Um, always look around the room to see like what you can defend yourself with. God damn it. It's like t- trying to survive a fucking zombie apocalypse. <laughs> look to your yeah. left. What can you defend yourself with? <laughs> What you said as well about um, like men try to make passes at you or try to offer you some sort of like help, and even if you if they if they come off like super safe, like like what Crystal says, like a, the rule of thumb is to ask yourself if he would help men in the similar situation as you, and if not, he has a certain agenda, because then he's just like a fake nice guy. At the very least, he's a nice guy. At worst, he's a fucking serial killer. <laughs> Trust your gut instincts if they don't feel good. And like in that case, like it really sucks. But if guy, if a guy makes passes at you, like obviously do that rule of thumb thing to see if he would do it for their males. If he, if he doesn't let off, it's unfortunate, but sometimes you have to lie. You have to lie. You have to say stuff like, oh, I'm meeting my friends or I actually have a husband or boyfriend because it sometimes with certain misogynistic men it takes other men laying claim to you in order for them to actually back off because they won't respect your autonomy but they'll respect you as a property of someone else (laughs) so sometimes you have to lie i don't know just be safe guys (laughs) but it's just unfortunate that we as women um these are the precautions we have to take and like the things we have to be aware of exactly so basically, when you're traveling solo alone abroad, even in places deemed safe, um, you have to be basically LARPing uh, like you're in some sort of zombie apocalypse game where you pack light, <laughs> you're always prepared, you're always, you're always aware of your surroundings. Be assertive. If you feel uncomfortable right away, use your intuition. And it's better to be wrong and overreact than to underreact and get assaulted and end up like a true crime, <laughs> a true crime story in another uh, like podcast. So be prepared and be reactive. And yeah. last but not least, don't fuck with or antagonize the spirits that be. <laughs> so if you're going to a haunted location, uh try not just don't to... go to a haunted location please do it do it if you're me and you have a morbid curiosity and like like being scared but make sure you don't do it alone and uh if you watch enough horror movies you know all the tropes of things not to do so don't separate <laughs> if you're gay or a person of color rip <laughs> <laughs> Any tips on how to combat phasmophobia? Um, definitely don't stay in a ha- haunted hotel. Sleep with all your lights on if you can. Uh, stay away from scary TV shows. Um, keep some sort of like spiritual thing around. I don't know what what would you call it? Like I a, mean, I guess like amulets, like an I, amulet, or I would put on something that's opposite of scary for example put on some bad rap music what kind of ghost will possess you to uh if you have like my neck my back playing in the background <laughs> or, right or like or just like, not in the mood you know <laughs> all you or all you ladies pop your pussy like this <laughs> yeah or, or what makes you feel ridiculous yeah and... oh definitely my ratchet my ratchet uh, 
a female playlist. Do do like a meditation. Do whatever you can. Um, I even put like silly YouTube videos on. My favorite game playthroughs like work pretty well for putting me to sleep. Sometimes I think thinking about real life problems also really helps. So if you usually deal with anxiety <laughs> with real life problems, actually visiting those anxieties is a good idea. <laughs> Distract yourself with more anxiety with a different anxiety. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, at nighttime when I'm scared of ghosts, like I'd rather be worried about you know, like work or some other stress just to be like, see, there are these problems <laughs> that are more of an issue. <laughs> so replace your anxiety with more pressing anxiety and then just be left with anxiety. <laughs> What's because these fear of ghosts, they are irrational. So in a way, replacing those fears with real life problems is you trying to be rational i mean just think about it if you suddenly find out that you have um, a friend who's dying or that your boyfriend has been cheating on you and has a secret child would you have the emotional capacity in that situation to be afraid of ghosts i mean if ghosts do exist i don't think they're just gonna disappear if you find out that your boyfriend has been cheating it's like oh well she's, she's going through some shit right now so i won't haunt her right now um i'll just like let her be sad and when she's not sad anymore then i'll haunt her like no i don't i don't think it works that way it's really all just in your head so dictate to your state of mind read up on some stoicism <laughs> you are you are not your emotions this is your captain speaking. Sorry for the turbulence. Do yourself a favor and don't look out your windows. Please don't. We hope you enjoy this Halloween episode, hoes. See you next time where we'll be talking on... What are we talking on? Travel privilege. So our next episode after this one is going to be part two of our racism series, which we still haven't released yet, but it's going to be good. It's about travel privilege and how your uh, skin color, your passport, and the language matter. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram as we post regularly travel-related content. You can find resources, infographics, and any of our upcoming content that we have for our podcast. We will also be posting um, previews of that on our Instagram. Also, because I am in Germany right now, there would be quite a bit of Germany content. So if you were ever curious about what Germany is like, then do follow us on Instagram at EpicoTravel and sign up for our newsletter at EpicoTravel.com. See you next time, hoes. Ooh.